Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We are preaching through uh, Nehemiah, and we started just a few weeks ago. Uh, and actually, we've preached through Nehemiah before here in this site of CCM, uh, but it was in about, I think, about 2011, maybe uh, 2012. So it was a long time ago. Who was here then? It's just me and Tom and Ian. Yes, that was it. So a long time ago. And I'm sure Ian and Tom have memorized every words of that sermon and could recite it back to you. Really, there's no point in me being here. Uh, they could do that. Um, but back in that time, we were, I think, just the evening meeting here in Fallowfields. And we were a morning meeting in Wright Robinson School in Gorton. I think that's where we were. And the whole of CCM at the time would have been then two services, maybe three, probably two, and about 80 adults Uh, at the time. And uh, we were pretty tired, pretty skint, uh, quite motivated. uh, But that was the moment that we were in. And actually, Nehemiah, for me at least, uh, you'll have to ask Ian and Tom afterwards, but for me at least, felt a bit of a a catapult series. Uh, And so it's important to think about it. Sometimes you can think, oh, we're just going through a a sermon series because it's just the latest one we've thought of and there's not much more to it than that. But actually, we think about these things uh, a bit. We want to really kind of understand the Word of God and get to grips with it and work our way through it. And actually, I think you really learn from this stuff over years and years. So uh, sometimes we have brand new preachers up here and they're having a go for the first time and they can, you can say, oh, they did well or they could improve on this. But actually, we grow as a church by reading the Bible together over years and years and years. And that's really important to us. But sometimes a sermon series will stand out, right? And uh, this one, for me at least, uh, stands out. Nehemiah felt like a, a a moment for us as a church. Maybe just for me, but it, it felt important. And it's hard to describe why I think that. Um, and I've been thinking about it a bit since I saw we were going to do Nehemiah again. I've been thinking, well, what, what was it about that last series that actually uh, was good? Why do I remember it like I do? Uh, and I feel like perhaps it gave us some confidence, definitely gave me some confidence, partly because Nehemiah is a bit of an underdog story. Okay, it's a, a story of the people of God being in a tough situation and then moving forwards out of that. And, uh, and Nehemiah being a long way from home. And I think back in 2010, 2011, uh, we felt a long way from home. We're not from Manchester and we'd moved up here to start planting. And so you can feel like you're a long way from home. Uh, and it's, it's a story of a people under pressure as well. So the people of God are under immense pressure trying to uh, rebuild in Jerusalem, trying to put the walls back together. And if you were to read some of the earlier books like Ezra, talking about how they were trying to rebuild the temple as well. So there was a very big job for them, but there was a sense of purpose that was beginning to reemerge in the people of God's. And perhaps we felt that a bit as well, that kind of sense of, oh, we've got something to do here, we've, we've got stuff to get on with. And it's, it's fascinating to think back for me. And Nehemiah himself seems to have a bit of um, attitude to him, uh, a bit of boldness, fundamentally quite a deep uh, and practical trust in God. It wasn't a passive trust 
that sat and waited for God to do everything. It was actually a trust where he did wait, but he also prayed. He also hoped a great deal, and he also watched for opportunities. And when the opportunities came, he really, he ran after them. He took them. So there's much that we can learn from him in this, I think. And my hope is that actually Nehemiah will be an important series for us again in 2024, because in, in God, we have hopes and dreams, like Nehemiah did, like the people of God did. We have hopes and dreams about what could happen in Manchester, what God could do, even further afield than Manchester. And in some ways, like Nehemiah, we do live in a very difficult moment, actually. So the number of people going to church, number of Christians going to church, actually continues to decrease. Uh, as you saw a headline uh, just this week about how the, the kind of traditional Church of England, where the, the people within that um, family of churches talk about it being a catastrophic decline in, in those sorts of churches. And perhaps a church is a bit like ours, a bit more evangelical. It's a bit different, but actually I would say that it's still a difficult moment for us as well. I was uh, in a meeting with a church just this week in Manchester, a little church that has been there for about 50 years in a very, very rough part of the city. They're in a part of the city that the council would say, this is the roughest parts of Manchester. Uh, And we were sat in a meeting with them and they were kind of reflecting that they'd started 50 years ago. And when they started in that area, they were surrounded by numbers of good churches in that area. And then one of them said, we're the last one. They're all gone now. We're, we're the last one left. There's nothing else. And they themselves are, are struggling. They're kind of toying whether or not they will exist in even a few months' time. Uh, so I would say we are in a tough moment uh, as the people of God's. And throughout January, uh, we prayed, didn't we, every lunchtime. So Colin Barron, one of our leaders, organised a prayer meeting in the city centre at lunchtime uh, every kind of working day. And the prayer really was, God, would you move in our city? We want to see 100,000 people saved and added to church in our city. And we prayed for that. Uh, We're also involved in the Northern Gospel Projects. And one of my, my friends in that, a guy called Ralph, he says, look, actually, we probably need to plant... 30 churches of 100 people by 2030 just to stay up with the population growth. That's just to stay where we are. That's uh, the situation in our city. And actually, that would be repeated across the country, actually. We need a move of God's in our city. We need a move of God's in our nation. And so when we read Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah and the people of God right up against it in a very difficult moment. And that's where we find ourselves. So let's remind ourselves of his situation. And Nehemiah was born, or or was kind of active, sorry, maybe about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, thereabouts. And Israel had been invaded by the king of Assyria, uh, which is around modern-day Iran and Iraq, uh, and had kind of decimated them as a nation. Uh, But then Assyria itself declined as a power, and was invaded by the Babylonians, who then invaded Judah, and Jerusalem is then destroyed. So Jerusalem had this amazing temple built by King Solomon, which had been prophesied about for years, they dreamed of for years, then was built, and was this amazing picture of the power of God, but also a bit of the power of Israel. If you are a nation of that, that's that wealthy and stable that you can build a massive temple, that, that says something about you as a people group. And perhaps they became proud, but this temple is destroyed, and then the walls of Jerusalem 
the kind of its defences, its ability to actually be a city, was also, they were also destroyed. And the temple was rebuilt and by a guy called Zerubbabel, and it took him about 20 years. And then a guy called Ezra returns to Jerusalem, begins to teach the law in the temple, and begins an attempt to rebuild the walls, but that doesn't go very well for him. His attempts are crushed. And then Nehemiah hears the news of this. And Nehemiah is a long way away. He is in Susa. He's in the, in the heart of the Babylonian Empire. And so we get to the beginning of Nehemiah 2. And Nehemiah has these opportunities in the job that he has. He is very close to the king. And he has these opportunities to find favour with the king, which you can read about at the beginning of Nehemiah 2. And eventually, through kind of the situation, he's allowed by the king to go to Jerusalem. In fact, the king is keen to help him, so gives him loads and loads of wood for rebuilding in Jerusalem, gives him letters to the different kind of nations he'll have to walk through to get there, basically to say, the king says, this is fine. And he gets his way to Jerusalem and he arrives. And as he arrives, even with the king's permission, there is still some opposition from some of the people around Israel. And now we get ourselves to verse nine. Now I did have it nicely up on the presentation behind me, but I broke it. Again, it's a running theme of me preaching. So if you've got Bibles, go to Nehemiah 2. And we'll start in verse, uh, about verse 11, actually. And I will read. And uh, you'll have to look at your phones, not the screen behind me. So it says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. It's a wonderful phrase. God had put something in his heart. It was deep in him that he wanted to do this, but he was still holding it close at that moment. And it says, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on through the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone, gone or what I was doing, because as yet I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So the first thing we can see, this this statement that he makes, see the trouble that we are in. Look around, see the trouble. As he's walked around Jerusalem on his horse, he's had to get off the horse. The walls are in such a state, they're everywhere. He's had to go on foot to look around. And he's heard stories of the state of the city, 
but he wants to see it for himself. He wants to get his eyes on it himself. And he's said nothing, and it's quite interesting. He's turned up, and God has clearly done something in his heart. He has some sense of a vision or calling or whatever you might want to call it, but a sense that God has moved him somehow as he's prayed back in Babylon, and he has to be there. He has to do this. But he doesn't turn up all guns blazing like he's the saviour. He actually gets there very quietly and just looks around, finds the walls in the mess that they are in, has to go on foot. And you wonder what he's thinking at that moment as he's looking around and it's dark. Whether he's thinking, what have I done? I had a really good job. I got to hang out with the king, which admittedly is quite dangerous. He could have got annoyed with me and killed me at any moment, but I, I had a good job. But here I am in a backwater of the Babylonian Empire looking at the city which used to be great and now is rubbish. I wonder what he thought. If he thought, oh God, I'm not sure I've got this in me. I don't know if I can do this or not. But actually, it's important that we lift our heads and look around at the city we live in, the world that we live in, see the damage that is done, see actually the rebuilding that needs to happen. It's actually important that we open our eyes and look around us and have eyes of faith as we do it, which I think is what Nehemiah had here. Actually, don't think he was thinking, God, this is too much for me. He got there because God had moved him, God had done a work in him. I think he was looking and asking God, what what do you think here, Lord? What what can we do? What can you do? It's important, actually, we pray and we we ask God that as we look around. We look at uh, our workplaces, our families, our friends, uh, the place that we live, actually to ask God, look, we can see what's broken here, Lord. What, What do you think? What do you want to do? Even as we read our Bibles, actually, to read our Bibles, understand what we are called to, understand who we are called to be and then to look at the world around us and see how it matches up and allow that to vex us somewhat allow that to annoy us a little bit allow that to say God what what do you think about this everywhere there are broken walls that need to be repaired right everywhere everywhere there are broken walls everywhere we look there are disciples to be made there is a kingdom to be brought forwards That's a good question for us to think, well, what are the walls that we can see around us? One of my favourite stories, uh, one of my favourite books I read as a a kid, actually, was a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. I don't know if you've ever read this book. Um, It's about a guy called David Wilkinson. He was a a pastor in rural America in the 1950s, and he was praying late one night, and there was a a magazine on his desk he was praying, and he was drawn to it. And he, he started reading about these gang of kids in New York gang of teenagers who'd murdered uh, this disabled kid. They'd, they'd met him and they'd killed him. Uh, and his heart was broken for this gang of kids. And he felt God say, go to New York, find these kids, tell them about me. And that's what he tried to do. Uh, actually, he never met those kids. He never got to meet that gang. They were thrown in jail for years. But as God got into New York, he ended up encountering all of these gang members all of these drug addicts and prostitutes, kids with just horrifying life stories, actually started to tell them about Jesus. And slowly but surely, numbers of them became Christians. Uh, And actually, it's uh, turned into kind of a worldwide movement for uh, uh, gang members, kids in really difficult situations. It's uh, birthed church plants, including one in Manchester, uh, all over the world because of this guy praying, this guy reading a magazine, this guy looking with eyes of faith at broken walls, and God's kind of challenging him. 
We are called to look around at the trouble we are in. It's actually quite important to do that. But not to look and moan, not to look and get on social media and slag off your local politician or whatever it might be, but actually to look with the eyes that Nehemiah had, with the eyes of faith. (coughs) It's important, actually, that kind of applies to every part of our lives as well. So in, in CCM, we have... Lots of people who do lots of different sorts of jobs. Okay, so we have uh, musicians and software engineers and engineers of other descriptions. We have mums and dads. We have chefs. We have waiters, administrators, nurses, doctors. Loads and loads of different jobs, right, across the church. In all of those places, there are walls to be rebuilt, right? In all of those places, in every job, there is work to be done to actually uh, try and serve the city in some way. So uh, a friend of of, uh, CCM Fallaville, a guy called Stu McGregor, who knows Stu McGregor? Everybody knows Stu. Stu's magnificent. But he came to university here in Manchester about 10 years ago, did science, and then got a job as a high school teacher teaching science. Uh, And I remember we talk about it a number of times, and he would tell me, actually, there are kids here from very challenging backgrounds. And he has to get them uh, to a level of being able to pass their GCSEs. And he's like, some of them, English is not their first language. And he's saying, some of them, it's not really even their second language. But my job is to help them get good GCSEs in science. That is wall building in a little way. That is helping to rebuild the walls of the city. We have numbers of families in CCM as well who've adopted and fostered kids, Uh, and some of them from awful situations. And actually, they're bringing them into nice, stable, good families, uh, which is probably changing the trajectory uh, of their lives dramatically forever. And actually, that is a small bit of wall building. And it's sometimes very easy to look around at all the trouble and see the state of the walls, think, oh, look at the trouble we're in. And just think, well, there's so much trouble, what can I do? And actually, Jerusalem and Israel was in a proper state. It wasn't just the walls. The temple had been destroyed, but the nation itself had been wiped away. There were no kings to speak of. There was no uh, structure in the nation. And Nehemiah didn't look at all of that and think, oh, I've got to do all of it. He just looked at the walls. There wasn't self-doubt there. There was just some honest reflection. Actually, he doesn't, I don't think it was a lot of ego as well. I think there was some confidence in God. It's important we look around, look at the ruins in the different worlds that we inhabit. So Nehemiah goes back. He's looked at the walls. He goes back to the people that are there who, remember, they don't quite know even why he's there yet. He's just some guy who's turned up. And he reports back to them and says what he has seen but also what he's believing God for. He said, I said to them, look, see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Gates have been burnt. Uh, The walls are gone. But come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. But he he doesn't stop there. He then tells them something in verse 18. He said, I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. The gracious hand of God. That's a wonderful phrase. Just the gracious hand of God on him. And he explains, he tells them the favour he found with the king. 
how his job actually meant he was very close to the king. He got to have this whole conversation with probably the most powerful man on the planet at that time uh, and explaining why he was sad, why he felt he should go to Jerusalem. And he was kind of praying all the way through this conversation. And he's not telling them a story of his own genius or his own bravery, although he clearly was brave and clearly was clever. But he's actually saying, look, look what God has done. God has used the situation I found myself in. This king could have been annoyed at my impertinence, even looking at him wrong. He said in that story that I was sad and I was worried that the king had seen that I was sad because if you're not happy around the king all the time, he would take offence. But he's giving glory to God, saying, look, this is how far I've come because of the gracious hand of God on me. And it's important that actually we, we recognise that, recognise the, the hand of God on our lives. Uh, sometimes we can, be, we can be quite quick to take credit for our achievements, can't we? Uh, and, but we can also be quite quick to blame God when there is difficulty. It feels like he's a, on a lose-lose in that scenario. But I think maturity is behaving a bit like Nehemiah. So actually, the hand of God is on my life a bit. I can see the grace of God at work in my life. I know in mine that I can see the grace of God everywhere in my life. From the family that I was born into, which had nothing to do with me, that was the grace of God (laughs) on my life. Actually, the point in history I was born, nothing to do with me, the grace of God was on my life. The country I was born into, none of those things are anything to do with me. I like to think perhaps the position I have in life uh, reflects something of my gifting and my skill. But in reality, a lot of the time, the family you're born into, the point in history, the nation have a huge effect. Perhaps if I was born at the same time to a good family in Palestine, my life would look very different now, wouldn't it? You have to recognise the grace of God that's on our lives. And it's important as well to recognise it on other people. And even to encourage other people when we see the grace of God on them. A friend of mine is a brilliant evangelist. She's just one of those people that it doesn't matter the situation she finds herself in, somehow she'll tell the person about Jesus. And I don't know how she does it. She, wherever she goes, she seems to make friends with people. And then they share their life with her, and then she shares her life with them. And then she's like, and yeah, they're now coming to church, they're in my small group. And it's just like a standard thing. She, she just seems to do it all the time. Um, and we must point out that gifting in people's lives. And I look at her and think, if I was in that situation, I just, people think I'm about to mug them. They, feel, they look scared of me. They don't want to share their life with me. They want to hide their wallet. That's what they want. It's a completely different thing. Another friend of mine always seems to get promoted at work. So it's a running joke. Anytime I see her, I say, how's it going? Have you got any more interviews coming up? She'll be like, yeah, yeah, I have. I don't think I'll get it. And every time I'm like, you're going to get it. It's what happens. And she gets promoted and she works hard. She's very gifted. She's very diligent, very disciplined. She's well respected, but still the grace of God is on her life. I think the hand of God is on both of them. And the people of Jerusalem actually respond amazingly to Nehemiah in this moment. They could very easily be, who's the rich kid from Babylon who's just turned up telling us what we need to do, uh, telling us who we should be, telling us that we're a disgrace because we've not done anything about the walls. Who is this guy? He points out their mess, but then tells them how God seems to be at work, and they're encouraged. 
And they respond to him. They say, well, let's start rebuilding then. And if we were to read the ESV version of this, it said, we will rise up and build. It's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, okay, we're with you. Let's get building. Let's, let's do this. When we see God at work in others, it should encourage us to build, actually. It should be a, a provocation to us. How often do you see good things happen to others and your first reaction can be, oh, why did it not happen to me? Why them? Why not me? So my friend, the evangelist, I'm actually quite jealous of my friend, the evangelist. Again, because it, that when I try the things that she does, it doesn't work for me in quite that way. But actually, I should just encourage her. I just say, Catherine is brilliant. You're brilliant. Keep doing what you do. When you do it, please tell me how as well. Please help me a little bit to be better at this. Uh, and how, how do you do this? And to copy her a little bit. And actually, that's what the people of Jerusalem do to Nehemiah. They're like, okay, we can see God's at work in your life. This is brilliant. We agree that actually this is a disgrace. The, this city should have walls. He's right. Let's, let's rise up. Let's build. They were inspired. And Nehemiah is the book about community. It's a picture of a community working together. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we can, we can talk about the heroes of faith, right? These incredible people who do these incredible things, and we look at them as individuals. They're the heroes of our faith. They're the people that we want to be like. Actually, this is a story about a whole group of people, the whole people of God, at least what was left of them in Jerusalem, responding and working together. They experienced difficulty, opposition. They must have been exhausted. As we'll read on in the future, we'll see many of them had jobs as well as doing all the work that they had to do on the walls. They also had to build whilst holding on to their swords because they thought they might get attacked at any moment. It sounds like a very stressful experience, but it is a picture of community. And there's a big task for us in, in wall building, actually for us. CCM, for us here in Fallowfield as well, in the jobs that we have, to actually have a good view of the work that we do. Whatever it is we do, think, actually, no, I'm going to do this as well as I can. I'm going to serve my work colleagues as well as I can. I'm actually building walls, slowly, bit by bit. And on the, that may be a good thing to think on the really difficult days, also on the good days as well. And when we think about our relationships, our friendships, or, or the life of the church, actually, we are building walls in every little bit that we do. Last night, we had the blues night here. It was a lot of fun, I imagine. Uh, lots of noise, lots of singing and dancing. But actually, that's, uh, that's a slowly building a wall. That's creating a context we can invite people along to, where our friends can be with us, where we can have fun together. Actually, that's wall building. And then we'll end with this, what... Uh, Nehemiah says to them, when they come up against some opposition, when a guy called Sanballat the Horonite, which is an amazing name, isn't it? Sanballat the Horonite. Then Tobiah, and then uh, a guy called Geshem, uh, they mock and ridicule. Uh, what is this you're doing? You're rebelling against the king. What are you about? Uh, and I answered them, Nehemiah says. I said this. I said, the God of heaven will give us success. And they experience opposition, and genuinely, you should experience opposition. It should be difficult. The things that we do as we try to build the walls of God's people, as we try to love and serve the city, as we try and build something that looks different as well, there should be opposition. 
Opposition that says, why are you doing this? Actually, to live as a Christian today in our city, in this culture, is an unusual thing. To read the Bible, do our best to understand it and say, actually, that is going to form how I'm going to live, how I'm going to behave. I'm going to do my best to be obedient to to Jesus in every part of my life. That can and should lead to the question of, why do you do that? What is this you are doing? And the answer for this is not Nehemiah, even though he seems to be an amazing guy. It's actually about the power of God. Nehemiah took every opportunity that came to him to point to God and say, God will give us success. The hand of God is on me. That's how I even got to be here. It's a miracle I'm here. God will give us success. There isn't really much sense of this is my calling. I must do this. This is my mission. It's all about pointing to God. He was there because of God. Any success would come because of God, which actually takes the pressure off a little bit, doesn't it? It's all about God, not him. And at CCM, we're praying for, we're trusting God for things. We want to see God move in our city. So we would love to plant 20 sites of CCM in Manchester. No idea how we'll do that. We will need the hand of God upon us in his grace and in his mercy. Any success that we have really is going to be up to him, right? But that's what we would love to see. We'd love to see 10 plants into European cities. Again, absolutely no idea how you do that. I keep seeing, speaking it out loud, and every now and again, someone will say to me, oh, how are we going to do that? I'm like, genuinely, no idea. We will need the graceful hand of God on us. I wonder if you have a sense of something in your life when you look around, whatever it might be, whether it's in your work, whether it's university friends, whether it's family, whether it's something else as you look at the city, and you have a sense, perhaps a nudge from God's, that could do with some rebuilding. We could put some walls together here. We could uh, play our parts. I wonder if there is that sense of something in your life. I have a feeling that there are, maybe there is some nudges here for people to start rebuilding in whatever that might be. Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.